chapter 15, starting with verse 1 through 8. John chapter 15, 1 through 8. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes, and he prunes every branch that produces fruit, so that it will produce more fruit. You are, all, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I in you, just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine. Neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him will produce much fruit, because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch, and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are, and they are burned. If you remain in me and my words in you, Ask whatever you want, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dearly Father, I just thank you for this morning once again that we've had the opportunity to come and worship you and set our hearts on you, and hopefully all of us come here to hear a word from you, Lord, whether it be through the sermon or Sunday school, that we would hear from you this morning, God. I pray that you would just help me to remain true to your word. And open our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So a, a little bit of irony for you, something that I found kind of funny. Yesterday uh, at home, I spent a lot of time cutting branches out of trees and uh, throwing some dead branches aside later to be burned. And, uh, and so just like this passage, there's no way that I knew about that. I had this sermon written before I knew that we were going to be doing that. And so I think God has a sense of humor. I also, I also think that maybe God wants me to practice what I preach. I don't know. Uh, but the imagery of this passage is kind of fresh on my mind. And so um, just as I think through this, as I'm reading through scripture and stuff, it reminds me of yesterday that kind of brought that home for me. Um, but in this passage, uh, go back here. Jesus is entering his final few days before he goes to the cross. And so he's beginning to share that with his disciples who are surrounding him, that he's getting ready to leave them. And it becomes clear in the passages surrounding this that they're not okay with that. They're actually pretty broken hearted. They're pretty burdened because what, he, what he's saying is he's going to leave them. And so Jesus keeps trying to reassure them that even though he's leaving, he's coming back to them. And he's talking about sending the counselor to them, the Holy Spirit to them. And they don't really fully understand because what Jesus says almost sounds like a bunch of riddles. And it's kind of hard to comprehend in those passages around this. Um, but before he goes, he's leaving them with some final instructions on how they're to live their lives and some other things that he wants to tell them about. And so in hopes that they find comfort and peace, as well as continue to living for him, uh, he's sharing these instructions with them. And right before this passage, it's a passage on Jesus and how he talks about that he wants to leave them with peace, peace that the world cannot give you, but peace that only comes from him. And in this passage, he's telling us to abide in him, uh, like, a, like a, on a vine, on a branch. Um, 
telling us to abide in him, which is really how we gain that peace that he talked about in the previous passage, that we abide in him, we listen to his word, we let him dictate where our life is going, and um, trust in him with our lives. And also after this passage, he's going to talk about what the kind of fruit that we should bear as Christians. He's going to talk about the kind of love that should develop in our lives because we're abiding in him, because we're bearing fruit in our lives. And so... Jesus' main point in this part becomes that they need to remain true to the thing that Jesus taught them. And if they remain true to what the true vine, which is Jesus, has provided them, they will continue to bear fruit in their lives. And that's really the whole point of this passage. Now, fruit is the evidence that we belong to him. It's the evidence of our godly character that points others and points ourselves to him even at times. The branches obviously are people that belong to him and some don't belong to him. And uh, when we think about this passage, this passage is really for three different types of people. It's for those who maybe are just growing in their faith and they're not as strong in their faith and they're not developing a bunch of fruit, but maybe there's some fruit there. It's also for those that maybe have been stagnant in their faith, maybe for a little while in their lives, and they're still not bearing fruit. There's some fruit there, but it's not as much fruit as it could be. Um, And so the advice for them is to abide in Jesus, draw near to him, hear his words, hear his teachings. Um, It's also for those who are maybe more mature in their faith, who are bearing a lot of fruit in their lives. It's for them in the sense that you need to keep bearing fruit. None of us are perfect. As mature as we might be as Christians, we've never arrived to where we should be. We're not ever perfect. We always need to grow. We always need to bear more fruit. And then finally, the third type of person that this is for is for those who maybe think that they're Christians, but there's no evidence in their lives that they actually belong to him. There's no fruit. There's never been any fruit. There's no fruit developing in their lives. They have no desire to develop fruit or to draw near to Jesus. And that person shows up in this passage as the branch that's bearing no fruit, that's broken off and tossed aside. And so even though this is applicable to all of us as Christians and even to those who may be lost, Um, This is a question to many people who may not know, how do I belong to Jesus? How do I know that I belong to Jesus? Because sometimes we give the answer in our Christian culture, well, you know because of this time in your life. And, And Jesus actually says, no, this is how you know that you belong to me, that there's evidence there, there's fruit being born uh, that's bearing in your life. And so uh, to think about that question this morning as we uh, try to determine whether we belong to Christ, but also try to determine whether we need to bear more fruit in our lives. And so verse 1 says, I am the vine and my father is the gardener. And so a a vine uh, gives a branch everything that it needs to produce fruit. And so Jesus, as a vine, gives his followers everything that they need through him to become the way that God created us to be. So Jesus starts declaring who he is. Not only that he is the vine, but he's the true vine. And that's very important because in our culture, what is true is often become subjective. What I think is true is truth. I decide what truth is. 
And uh, people say oftentimes that I'm living my truth. There cannot be a my truth. There is truth and there is how we feel and there's the way we look at life, but it oftentimes doesn't line up with reality. We can see that in our culture now in many different ways and we don't have to talk about them, but there's many different ways where people believe something true, but it's obvious that it doesn't line up with what is actually true. And I'll let you come to conclusions on that uh, on your own. And so... There is only truth, and, and, when, and when our, but Jesus is the true vine, okay? So when we're talking about truth, we're saying that Jesus is the true vine. He is truth. And there's a lot of vines that we could attach ourselves to. Uh, sometimes even as believers, we could attach ourselves to various vines and vines that would cause us to bear bad fruit. And if we attach ourselves to a vine of any kind, it becomes a way that we think, it becomes a way of thinking, and as it becomes a way of thinking, it becomes a way that we live. We begin to think and act like those who are on a certain vine. So you see a certain group of people thinking a certain way, see a certain people, a group of people acting a certain way, it's because they've all attached themselves to the same vine. They're all drawing from the same source. And so uh, some examples of this if we uh, attach ourselves to uh, hang out with people who are constantly negative and miserable because they're thinking a certain way, and we let that way of thought influence how we think, then we can become miserable and negative in our lives if we let that influence us, um, if we draw from the vine that they've attached themselves to. If I attach myself to a vine and I'm primarily thinking major news corporations that tell me what I should think is important, what I should be afraid of, and what I should be angry about, then I will be focused on all the wrong things. I will always be either extremely angry, extremely afraid, or extremely depressed. That's the reason why I had to quit watching news, because I was always extremely depressed and looking at the wrong things in life that Christ has not told me to focus on. If I attach myself to a third type of vine, and there's many vines out there, I'm just giving a few examples so we see what attaching ourselves to a vine can do. If I attach myself to the vine of the prosperity gospel, you know, it disguises itself as being a true follower of Christ, but they say if you come to Jesus, you're going to be rich, you're going to be wealthy, you're going to be healthy, you're going to get anything you want. Like anything you ask for, God's going to give it to you. He wants to prosper you in the sense that you get what you want out of life. Well, if I attach myself to that vine, then I begin to come, become self-centered. I begin to become all about myself. I begin to become materialistic, and I begin to become greedy. All the while believing that I'm a follower of Christ, but Christ has never called us to be materialistic or greedy or self-centered in our lives. He's called us to deny ourselves and to pick up our cross and follow him. And that means not to make our lives about us. None of those things are the true vines. To be attached to a vine means that we become the fruit that that vine intends the fruit to be. In other words, you don't see tomatoes on a peach tree. You don't see apples on a grapevine. There's an intention there. If it's on that vine, it's going to become what that, that vine intends the fruit to be. So the true vine is the way that God made us to live 
made us to think, made us to love, made us to display his character through our lives. That's what the true vine produces in us. That's what the true vine intends to produce in us as fruit in our lives. When we attach ourselves to the true vine, we become more godly in our character, which sets us apart from the rest of the world and the vines that they attach themselves to. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. If it's, it is only by Jesus that we know God, that we know anything about God, that he's revealed the Father to us and what, God it will, and what God's will is in our lives. Jesus is truth. And he wants to provide us with truth so that we can live out what is true. So later in that verse, he goes on to say that my Father is the gardener. Some versions say vine dresser. Uh, but basically he's saying my Father is like a farmer. In essence, the farmer plows the ground, the farmer plants, uh, the father takes care of uh, the crop as it grows, the farmer takes care of the harvesting when it's time for that. And so take note of this. Um, if God is the vine dresser, if he's the gardener, if he's the farmer, that means that he does all the work in our lives. He's doing the work that it takes to make sure that the fruit gets produced the way it's supposed to produce. And we'll talk in a moment about how he's pruning certain things back so that fruit begins to continue to produce. But what we're told is that we only need to remain on the vine. That's all we're told. And that's good news. Because when I first became a Christian, there were a lot of things in my life that I tried to give up, that I was struggling to give up in my life. And I found that I kept failing and I kept failing and I kept failing to give the things up that God was calling me to give up. And the more that I kept failing, the more that I became frustrated, the more that I became full of shame and the more that I wanted to quit and just give up. Because I wasn't becoming the person that I wanted to be, but also that I'm supposed to be. I couldn't fix myself. That's what I wanted so bad, just to, just to make certain behaviors, certain things stop in my life. And I couldn't. Jesus is saying that's not for us to fix. We're not supposed to fix that ourselves. God is the vine dresser. He takes all of the things necessary, uh, all of the measures necessary to cause us to grow fruit. As we simply listen to Jesus, and this is the whole point of being on the vine, listening to Jesus and what he teaches us, and we just soak it into our hearts, and we begin to practice it, God will make the changes in our hearts that are necessary to be made. He will change our desires. He will do what is necessary to cause growth in our lives. It's exactly what the vine dresser does. So within that verse, we need to attach ourselves to the true vine and let God do the work in us that is necessary as the vine dresser so that we can grow to be who we're supposed to be. Verse 2. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes and he prunes every branch that produces fruit, that it will produce more fruit. So the father, who is the gardener, gets rid of those branches that show no sign of bearing any sort of fruit as a true believer would. Uh, but for the one who is a believer, who is bearing good fruit, the father continues to work on them. He begins to remove the things that keep the believer from growing. We removed a lot of dead branches yesterday that were in the way, that were serving no purpose on that. They're being thrown aside and eventually we're going to burn them and cook hot dogs and stuff over them. And we're looking forward to that. But he removes those things that don't belong there, um, that can keep a person from growing as a believer. 
Sometimes we don't know that those things exist in us until God reveals them to us, and then God removes them as we go. And so this pruning process that we're talking about, that God does in our lives, not us, not anything we do, but that God does in our lives, it's a lifelong process that takes things away that should not be there so that we can bear more fruit in our lives, we can resemble Christ more in our lives. This is also called sanctification. The sanctification is the process where God takes and he cleans up our hearts. It's a lifelong process that we slowly do. And there's been many times in my life where I have wished that God would just change everything all at once, especially when I hit those low moments in my life and I realize that the quality and character that's within me is not where it should be, and it's affecting the lives of the people in and around me. And those are the times I'm like, God, why can't you just fix everything at once? Why can't I just be everything you want me to be now? And the answer is, that's just not how he works. If we read Psalms chapter 1, it says, those who delight in the law or the instruction of the Lord will be like a tree planted by waters which bears its fruit in its time. It's not that all of that fruit comes right away. It's that it's a slow, steady process. And I don't always know why he chooses to do that, but maybe it causes us to rely on him more. And so there are things, there are qualities, and sometimes there are even people in our lives that keep us from being who God made us to be. Sometimes we don't want to part with some of those things in our lives that keep us from being who God created us to be because we can't possibly imagine our lives without some of those things in them. Or we don't want to see those things as a problem. I don't want to see, okay, so I'm a, I'm a little selfish over here. I don't want to see that as it's not a big deal. Well, how is it affecting the people around you, though? Maybe they see it as a big deal, and maybe it's causing that relationship you're in to struggle. It is a big deal, and it keeps you from being who God wanted you to be, wants you to be. God wants to remove those things, the bad qualities and the influences, because often they keep us from growing and becoming more like Jesus. They keep us from bearing fruit. Verse 3. You are already clean. He's talking to his disciples specifically, but he also is talking to us in a way. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. And so Jesus is telling his disciples that they are clean because they have received Jesus' instructions, that Jesus has spoke to them the things that they need to know. Right? The disciples have been with Jesus for almost three years at this point, somewhere around three years, estimated, uh, hearing his teachings and the words of Jesus. And when we hear God's word, it is full of righteousness. If we receive God's word willingly, not just in our heads, by the way, but in our hearts, it produces righteousness in us. I know plenty of people who have memorized tons of scripture and more than I have and know more about the Bible than I do and and can, can quote all these verses, but it never made it to their heart and it produces nothing. It's for no good. It's, it's, it's if you don't receive it and let it apply to your life. And I think that's when Jesus, James says in, in the book of James, just not to be hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word, that when you hear God's word, don't just think that you've got it all figured out because you've heard it. Act upon what he says to do. But these disciples have heard it and they let it change them. So it needs to be both received and applied to our lives. The word cleanses our hearts as we humbly receive it and devote our lives to it. Verse 4 through 5. Remain in me and I in you. 
Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him will produce much fruit because you cannot do anything, you can do nothing without me. So, so Jesus provides us with everything that we need to bear the fruit that we need to bear as believers. The promise is that we cannot produce genuine fruit, genuine godly fruit without abiding in Jesus. Jesus' standard is a lot higher than our standard, by the way. We might think, well, I'm a good person, but Jesus throws this standard up there that's like, oh, I need him to help me so that I can abide fruit to be like that. But if we abide in Jesus, we will bear much fruit. Fruit is evidence appearing in our lives that we belong to him. So we ask the question sometimes, how do I know that I belong to Jesus? Sometimes we get confused on that. The answer is found right in this passage. We know we belong to Jesus because I'm abiding in him and I'm bearing fruit. That's the evidence that we know that we belong in Jesus. I'm allowing his words and his teachings to penetrate my heart and to cause me to change and grow as a child of God. It's very different than the way we present it in today's church culture in America and other cultures, I'm sure. Um, when it comes to telling someone how to decipher whether or not they belong to Jesus, oftentimes we don't tell them to examine where they are now in their hearts. We tell them to look back to a moment. Look back to a moment. Never mind the fact that there may be no evidence whatsoever in your life that you belong to him. When did you pray a prayer? When did you walk an aisle? When did you get baptized? If that didn't happen, you're probably not saved. That's what I've heard people say all my life, and I've heard that out of my mouth whenever I was growing up and before I really knew um, how to tell whether we belong to him. The Bible doesn't tell us that, anything like that. And that advice to someone who's asking and struggling with their faith is actually really damning to say that. People need to examine themselves to see if they're abiding in Jesus. You know, we want to trust in a moment. We want to tell people to look back to a moment in time where they did that. And, and we've almost let them feel like they're assured that that moment was it. And that's the evidence that they belong to him. And then we scratch our heads and wonder where they go and where they, why they no longer come to church, why they no longer follow Jesus in their lives. We don't get it. Well, it's because they never gave their lives to Christ. Said a prayer. Didn't mean anything. Wasn't genuine. So for a very long time, I had that moment when I was a kid, about six years old. I prayed a prayer, I walked an aisle, I got baptized, only to feel completely insecure about my faith for years. I prayed the sinner's prayer so many times because I didn't understand what it meant. I thought it was the prayer that saved me. That's nobody's fault. It's not anybody's fault. I just didn't understand it. I wasn't ready to put my faith in him and give him my life whenever I was six years old. Um, but I never actually gave my life to Christ till about 2015. And I couldn't tell you a specific moment, but I feel more secure in my faith now than I ever did growing up. Because saying a prayer meant that it was something that I could do to be made right with God. Maybe you said a prayer, and maybe you are saved, but you're not saved because you said the prayer. You're saved because you put your faith in Jesus. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him 
will not perish but have everlasting life. It's faith in him that causes us to be saved. And if that faith is genuine, you're going to repent. Like you're going to want to follow him. You're going to want to belong to him. So when we look, when we look at the lives of the disciples in the four gospels that you can read through that, we don't see a moment where they stop and pray a prayer and they experience this special moment. If it's so important for that moment to be there, which we often emphasize in our culture as Christians, uh, then why don't we see that with the disciples? We see something like that with uh, Paul, but that was kind of a special thing that we see. Uh, why don't we see that with the rest of the disciples? Because the Bible doesn't tell us to look back to a moment. It tells us to look where we are now. You know, you, you look back to a moment. It's not the same as looking at this passage and saying, does my life match up to what Jesus is saying here? completely different idea. Looking back to a moment and then saying, does my life belong to Jesus based on this passage that we're reading from this morning? We know, and this is how we know, that the disciples believed in Jesus because they began to follow him. They began to change. They began to bear fruit. And they continued to follow him. And they gave their lives for him in the end. We don't know that they believe because of a moment that they prayed, they walked an aisle and they were baptized, but because of their faith, which led to repentance. It's not repentance that saves us. I want to be clear on that, but it's their faith in Jesus that led them to turn away from going the way of the world to follow him and to become like him. Everything changed in them. Their desires, their motives, their actions were all made new. That's called fruit. That's how we know we belong to Jesus. Not because of a moment. And there's been plenty of people that have had that moment, but it never led them to repentance. Their lives don't change. And that's why looking on last week's sermon, where I talked about baptism and how we know baptism doesn't save us, this is how we know baptism doesn't save us right here. Because if Jesus is going to save us, he's also going to change us. That's what he says. In order to enter the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again. He's not just going to leave us the way we are. He's going to change our hearts. And it's a gradual change sometimes, but he is going to change our hearts. He's not just going to leave us the same. I've seen many people who have been baptized as infants or adults, and that never changes their lives. Baptism can't do that. They're no more a Christian than I am a professional wrestler. They don't abide in Jesus. If you believe in Jesus, you begin to follow him and bear fruit. And that's how you know you're his. And it's not by anything that we do. It's not because I'm following him specifically and the things that I do for him that saves me. It's genuinely just faith in him. It's genuinely just believing in him. And everything about him in the gospel, he, Jesus came, he died, he rose again for our sins so that we can be forgiven. But also what he says is true. That's what it declares at the beginning of this passage, that what he says is true. And if we believe that, if we believe that he is Lord over all, then there's no reason. If we truly believe that and accept that, there's no reason we keep going the other way. If we truly believe and accept that. Because if we believe he's the truth, then there's nothing else to turn to. Faith in Jesus changes our hearts and it changes the direction that we're going in life. And that is the only way we know that we belong to him. 
And that's what Jesus is saying here. There must be fruit in our lives. Verse 6. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, they throw them into the fire, and they are burned. So Jesus uses the word here, remain, if anybody does not remain in me. Which indicates that this withering branch that's been thrown off to the side is someone who at some point thought that they maybe belonged to Jesus. They heard the words that he said. And maybe they dabbled around with Christianity for a little bit. They heard what Jesus said. But what Jesus said never actually took root in their heart. Never actually changed anything. They hear it, but it's not actually changing anything. They're not actually listening, wanting, and desiring him more. Um, Those type of people may show up in church any given Sunday. They may have said a prayer. They may have been baptized. And that person may be able to fool themselves and others for a while, and that doesn't matter if we fooled ourselves or others. What matters is, are we bearing fruit, and do we belong to him? Those individuals have not remained on the, on the vine. And you can actually show up here this morning. You can be here right now and not be on the vine. And not be giving your life to Jesus and abiding in Him and growing closer to Him. So this person would be considered lost. The branch that's been torn off and tossed away and is withering. And there's a difference between someone who's backsliding and someone who never belonged to Jesus in the first place. None of us are perfect. All of us are going to make mistakes. All of us are going to have periods in our lives where we aren't living exactly the way we're supposed to be. But this is talking about someone who's never experienced any sort of change at all in their lives. Never experienced what Jesus has for us and has no desire to continue going with Him. If you can walk away from that, You can never bear fruit. It may be an indication that you've never given your life to Him. Someone that doesn't have the desires that a follower of Christ has. And so people ask the question, how do I know that I'm saved? And we point them to that special moment. And the the real way that we know, the questions that we should be asking those people is, where are you now? What is your heart like now? What are your desires now? Have you changed since that moment that you had that special moment? Have you changed since then? Has there been any change in your heart? Has there been any fruit? Are you having a desire to follow him, to walk with him, to make your life about him? And that's, that's like the number one thing that starts to happen to those who come to him. It's, not, it's a gradual thing sometimes. You'll know that you belong to him because it's the difference between being asleep and awake. That once you've woken up, you realize that you were sleeping. You become aware of who you were. And you didn't see it before. You didn't see what kind of person you were before. I know what I was like before. I know what I was like in my heart before. I grew up in church. I thought I was this person who was this perfect Christian. Maybe not perfect Christian, but I thought I was this good Christian. I was saying all the right things. I was speaking Christianese. And for those of you who don't know what that means, that means I'm saying all the cliche things that all the Christians around me would say to make myself sound more Christ-like. But I can tell you what was in my heart back then. I had no desire to know God's word. I had no desire to hear what Jesus had to tell me. I had no desire to pursue his will for my life. 
I had no desires for him. I didn't pray to him unless I wanted something. Like, Lord, help me pass this test or help me get this job. But there was no relationship there. There was no relationship where I actually spent time with him. And there was no conviction or intention to turn away from sin. There were sins in my life that I started doing when I was in junior high and high school. And I didn't really care about what God said about it. I just didn't want to get caught doing them. But I didn't care that God told me to turn away from those things. There was no repentance until after I came to him. That was my heart. And there was no desire to change. And it's not that I'm perfect now. Far from being perfect now. But I do want God's will for my life. I'm not always perfect with that. I don't always 100% pursue that. But I do want that for my life. I desire to pray more. I don't wish to stay in sin. In fact, when I'm confronted with the sin in my life, it's a burden. There's a conviction there that this is not what God wants for my life. Not because I'm afraid that I'll be angry, he'll be angry with me. That has nothing to do with it. It's because that I realize that it's sin in the first place that separated us from God. And so I don't want to continue in that. Those remaining in Jesus... There we go. So you know you're remaining in Jesus when you begin to change. Your priorities and your desires are not what they used to be. You have new ones. You're starting to develop new priorities and desires. And this doesn't happen all at once. It's a slow, sometimes slow and steady process eventually. Um, But you know when you're His. Because you find yourself wanting to live for him and bring him glory. Not because you have to. Not because you're thinking, I don't want God to be mad at me, so I have to perform. I have to do all these things. You don't want to do it just because you don't want to make him angry, but because you want to, because you love God. And you love God because you belong to him. And you love God because he first loved you. And it's God's love, by the way, that's supposed to cause us to turn away from sin because he loves us so great that it should show us that we desire him more than the world. We're not always going to be good at change. Even those who are more mature in their faith are not always good at change. Sometimes we're stubborn. Sometimes we refuse to grow. But is the desire there? Is the desire there to be more like Christ? Is the desire there to hear his words and to read his words and to learn more from him? Has it ever been there? Or maybe you've lied to yourself. And you'll know if that describes you. Everything I just said describes you. You're not going to have to tell, you're not going to have to have anyone tell you that. You just look into your heart and be honest with yourself. It's important that we're honest with ourselves. It's important that we actually do an examination of our hearts. It's so important to know whether we belong to him. We just need to know ourselves. If we're asleep or awake, if we're Jesus's or we're lost. If we're honest with ourselves, we'll know. Verse 7. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. And so it says here, God will give us whatever we ask for if we belong to him, if we abide in Jesus and we ask in his name. And so that sounds a lot like the prosperity gospel, doesn't it? Um, 
God's going to give me whatever I want. If I want a million dollars, if I want a promotion at my job, if I want perfect health, some of those things aren't bad to ask for. Um, but I'm just saying, like, that's the mindset when some people use this verse, that if you ask God for anything, you're going to get it. And, and ask God and he'll do it. But those remaining in Jesus, trusting in his word, whose lives have been transformed, have no use for most of that stuff. They have no use for what most of the world has use for. They've been transformed and they understand that life is more than about prosperity and being happy all the time. The understanding of someone who is a child of God is that they are to bring God glory. And that's exactly what Jesus says. As a child of God, your goal is not to get everything in the world that's going to make you happy But your goal as a child of God is to bear more fruit, to be more like Christ, because Christ has changed your heart and opened your eyes. You were once blind, but now you see. That's what it says in verse 28. talks about in verse 28, bringing glory to God. That's how God is most glorified, that when we bear fruit and we're his disciples. Proof that I belong to Jesus. Part of the proof that I belong to Jesus is that I want to bring glory to God with my life. And that should be any Christian's goal in life. We're not always on target with that. I'm not meaning to say that you've got to be 100% perfect 100% of the time with this or else you're not saved. It's not what I'm saying. But it's got to be your main desire that's developing and becoming the biggest desire in your life. I want to be the one who, the, who God created me to be. I don't want to be self-centered. I don't want to be seeking the things that the world does. And so when we ask for Jesus, anything, those whose hearts are in the right place will ask for fruit so that they can be more like Christ. It's not bad to ask for some of those other things, by the way, but I'm saying our priority is to be more like Christ. And he will answer that. He will answer that because we abide in Jesus and Jesus abides in us and we're learning from him and his learning is shaping how we think and as he shapes how we think, he shapes how we live. And because we're made new, we bring glory to God. But why else do we need fruit in our lives? I mean, ultimately, this reason I'm going to go over is going to bring glory to God. But other than just simply bringing glory to God, why else do we need uh, to bear fruit in our lives as Christians? You know, I never realized how selfish I was um, and sinful I can be until I got married. And maybe some of you husbands out there can relate to that. You know, I thought I was a pretty good guy. I thought I'd arrived where I'm supposed to be. I thought that I was pretty selfless in my life. And then as, as time went by, I realized that there was a lot of qualities in me that I didn't want to see, but I needed to see. And that's called pruning. God shows us the things in our lives that keep us from bearing fruit, keep us from being like Jesus. He shows us the things in our lives and the actions that we take and the way that it's affecting the people around us. And sometimes we don't want to see that. Sometimes we don't want to believe that that's us. But guess what? It's there. No matter how mature you are in your faith, it's there. But until we see that, we can't grow to be more like him. If you are a child of God... It's because you are in Christ. God has called you to live to a certain standard. As a Christian, there is a certain standard for me as a husband. There's a certain standard for me as one day hopefully a father. There's a certain standard for me as a brother to my, uh, my brother. 
There's a certain standard as a son of my parents. There's a certain standard as, as a friend to my friends. When I understand that I'm not being that person that I'm called to be, when I understand that my selfishness and the things that I'm ignoring or not seeing in my lives is affecting those around me, I may not think it's a big deal, but the other person may think it's a huge deal. It's affecting those relationships. It hurts. I mean, it really, really hurts when you see that about yourself. If you belong to Christ, you don't want those things to be there. And that's the thing of it. Like, that's the whole point of this. If you belong to Christ, you don't want the worldly qualities to be in you. You don't want to think the way the world thinks. We want our lives to reflect the character of God. God will hold us accountable in these areas because he set the standard of where we should be as his followers. And that's a sobering thought that he holds us accountable for things like that. It's why we need fruit. It's why we need fruit in our lives. I want to be the best version I can be for the people and the relationships around me. We should never become comfortable in the relationships that we have with others, so much so that we're not aware of how we're talking to them or treating them. And sometimes those people will just point those things out to you. But sometimes we need to catch those things on our own. We're capable of doing it. And to think about like treating this person the way that I would want to be treated. Because we can all do better. None of us are perfect. So if you're new to the faith and you have little fruit in your life, maybe you're stagnant in your faith, maybe you know that your desires for God are there, they're growing, uh, the encouragement in this passage is to keep abiding in Jesus, keep hearing his words, hearing his teachings, and that fruit will become more in your life. And that becomes really the first desire in your heart as a child of God. If you're, mature, if you're a mature Christian with a lot of fruit in your life, you still have a long way to go. You may be mature, but you're not perfect. And so this passage is telling us to abide in Jesus and continue to grow. And perhaps this morning, and it's hopefully not the case, if there's someone in here who has no fruit in their life at all, you've never had the fruit in your life, you're never changing, you're always living the same and have no desire to change, you have no fruit that you're bearing to be like Christ, it's just never been there, you most likely don't belong to him. Probably not on the vine. And you're probably withering. And so the question might be for you, well, I don't know, I don't know what to think. I don't know what to believe. Like, I don't know even if I believe any of this thing. I, I don't know if I, how, if I trust this or if I want this for my life. And maybe you're just, I want to know. I want to know how to know. The best thing I can say is seek him out. Seek him out. And probably the most biblical thing that I could say is to follow him. Follow him. And what do I mean by that? Well, when Jesus' ministry was on this earth, he taught he preached. Sometimes hundreds, sometimes thousands of people would show up to where Jesus was to hear him preach. But not all of them stayed. Some of them lost interest. Some of them didn't like what he said and they just went away. They didn't come back. Those are the branches that did not abide in him. They heard his word, but it didn't sink into their heart. And they were torn off and tossed aside and they withered. Because they had no intention of abiding in him. It's kind of like the soil that, that the sower of the seeds tosses towards 
Um, the soil and some of it grows up and some of it doesn't and some of it grows up for a moment and then it's choked out and it doesn't live any longer. Sometimes people can hear the word and get excited for a moment but not really accept everything, not really accept Jesus. And then there's those who do hear the word. There's those that, who do surround themselves with Jesus' teachings. And at some point as they're trying to figure out if they believe this, it catches their heart. It hooks them in and they put their faith in Jesus and they begin to follow him. That's what we see. That's the most biblical explanation of how that works in the Bible, by the way. The most biblical explanation of how it works in the Bible. So what do I mean by that? Start listening to what Jesus says. Like I'm saying, just if you're trying to seek him out, if you're trying to seek what you believe in life, start reading the Bible. Maybe you don't like to read. You can download a version of the Bible. and It's an app called YouVersion where you can listen to the Bible and listen to Jesus' teaching. Start doing that. Hear his words. Hear his teachings. Read his teachings. See what he is about. And maybe this morning you're saying, well, I don't know that I have time for that. I don't know that I'm really interested in that. I kind of just want this quick fix and I don't really want anything else. I'm not concerned about giving my life to him. There's your answer. There's your answer. Those who belong to Jesus abide in him. Those belong to Jesus hear his words, bear fruit, want to hear his words, want to bear fruit, desire that. And and you're not going to be perfect at it. If you're a new believer, if you're stagnant in your faith, you're not necessarily going to be perfect about it. But has it ever been there is the question. Have you ever attached yourself to the vine and received the word and believed in Jesus and gave your life to him? That is the explanation that we get from Jesus here on what it means and what it looks like to be a child of God what it looks like to be on the vine. Jesus died for our sins so that we can be forgiven, so we can have a relationship with God. He was raised for the dead so that we can have eternal life. But he also said a lot of things in the Gospels so that it would change our hearts and we would become new people. There is a huge mindset all over the place that Christianity is only about getting unto heaven. And that's not the case. If you're coming to Jesus just to get into heaven, but you're not willing to give him your life, you're a branch. You're a branch that doesn't want to abide in him. And he says that it will be torn off, thrown aside, and wither. If you belong to Christ, you will change. You will continue to change until the day you take your last breath to be more like Jesus. That's what the scripture tells us. And so I'm going to pray here in a moment. And uh, the best thing I could say at this point is just to examine your heart. If you're unsure, examine your heart. And like I said, I encourage you to follow Jesus. Like, see what his words say. Spend time finding out what he says. Believing the gospel and embracing him as a person as the Son of God and as Lord. And that'll change your life, guaranteed. We're going to take a moment of silent prayer where we all just, I encourage you to examine your hearts and see where you're at with this and see what you believe. um, And talk to God about that. Maybe ask God to help you see clearly uh, what you have in your heart.